Welcome back to It's Technically Romance, where we take a look at Hallmark films from our two different perspectives. Mine being the technical, cinematic, sometimes cynical side. And mine being the hopeless, romantic side. My name is Hamilton. And I'm Stephanie. And boy howdy, do we have a doozy of an episode <laughs> for you. Maybe the, the one time that doozy comes into play here. The I know dooziest. You know, the dooziest of episodes. It is our 100th episode. One zero zero. It's it's kind of crazy to think about. We started this podcast, uh, and I guess it was a fall. Yeah, we started in the fall, almost two years ago. It's been. Uh, yeah, in September it'll be two years, and you know it's taken us a, a minute to get to one hundred episodes. But I I honestly can't believe that we've done one hundred episodes. Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of wild. So when when we started this, we you know. When they tell you uh, if you want to start doing a podcast, you you need to have a subject that you could talk about for at least 100 episodes. And I would say we've done that. So we're done? Is yeah. that it? We're done. <laughs> we're, this we is did, it, we guys. This episodes. is our last episode. Uh, it's Yeah, but no, it, it is kind of wild because I, I didn't think it would last this long, honestly. I, I really didn't. And I think that's really a testament to all of you, um, all of your messages, all of your engagement with us. You know, that that's really what keeps us going. And so first of all, I just wanted to really just thank you all for, for that, for those messages, for the reviews, for the likes, for, for sharing, for letting other people know about us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, honestly, I mean, I don't know if we would still be doing it if no one was listening. So maybe it's your sister, your sister and mom listening. <laughs> It started out with just my sister and maybe a few friends. And um, yeah, we've really come to to know and appreciate a lot of you that listen, uh, whether you're new listening and you've only listened to a few episodes or you've listened to all 100. We genuinely uh, appreciate you mm. and just feel so thankful that that we're still doing this and having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, for real. And, and also I think we have a, a few special shout outs. We'd like to just give a quick few shout outs to some of our, our listeners who, you know, really go that extra effort for us. Yeah. The ones that, you know, message us the most, we see your names pop up the most and really feel like we formed friendships with you. So, um, so just uh, a few people that we'd love to thank, especially, uh, to Mackie. We appreciate you so much, Mackie. You always say the sweetest, kindest things, and you've been listening maybe the longest. Uh, we've messaged back and forth so many times. Just really appreciate you. We have Lisa, Lisa Min. She has uh, is always there, always commenting, always giving us her feedback, and really helped us out. She's helped us with uh, a few things with like our, our kiss a meter. She was so passionate about that kiss a meter. And, uh, I just can't thank you enough, Lisa, for, uh, showing so much interest in our podcast. It really warms our hearts. Uh, and just a few others. We have Sandy Falconetti wit. Thank you so much for all your messages and sharing your, your dog stories with (laughs) us. We really appreciate it. Uh, PB, thank you so much for all of your feedback and encouragement. Christy as well uh, from uh, My Happy Feel Good Place. She's been a great supporter of the podcast as well. I feel like we're, we've like won an award and we're just <laughs> listing people. <laughs> we're listing all. So in that, in that sense, if we didn't call out your name, just know that we still care about you. But I am going to say a uh, special thanks to your sister and to your mom who have really 
literally day one listen to us from so. from the beginning uh i can always count on my sister elizabeth to send me a marco polo of what she thought about the episode mm-hmm. um and tell me like her favorite parts and what made her laugh and uh so it's just really good to have that that encouragement uh, as well so thank you so much for keeping us keeping us going keeping, keeping us, us going. going and also a, a really special shout out to all of the people who you know sat down with us and gave interviews with us i mean you know, I know how busy you all are, and it really means a lot to us that you took that time and, and answered our questions so beautifully. I mean, I, that's one of my favorite parts of the interviews, really getting to the, the nitty-gritty of all the, the technical aspects. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if everyone wants to hear about all the craft, how deep we get into it, but we enjoy it. So <laughs> we assume you do, too, since you're listening. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been such uh, an honor that these guests wanted to come on the podcast and talk to us and, and spent their time and, um, and really sharing, like we've had some people share like just really great stories and, you know, just, it's always felt so special, um, to get to hear all of, you know, their insight and, and all what goes into, to making these movies. Yeah. Because they, I mean, they love these films as much as, as we do. And so that's, in every interview that we've done, there's just so much love for the Hallmark brand and the Hallmark films. And I, it's, it gets me excited just, you know, talking about it still. So thank you all for that. Um, and I honestly can't think of a better way to ring in the big one zero zero, uh, with someone who, you know, for me, it, he got me into Hallmark films. And so it was a very special interview and it felt full circle. And he's special to me because he got you into Hallmark yes. films. And we would not be doing this podcast, honestly, if it were not for this person. That's true. Right. And I and I think yeah. you all know who we're talking about, if you are an avid listener. And uh, so for our 100th episode, we got the goat. Yep, yep. I think you'll, you'll know him from his most famous role of the bartender from Love Classified, where he crushed that role. Um, obviously, we're talking about none other than the great Paul Campbell. Yes. The Paul Campbell. Uh, we Writer. Fi- we finally got actor, him. Actor. Superhero, maybe. I, I Producer, don't know. Producer, sort of. He's working <laughs> on it. Um, maybe director. Ooh. Woodsmith, uh, which is a new word oh, that yeah, we've coined Woodsmith, for him. Word. <laughs> uh, don't we, give away the entire interview. I know. We had so much fun talking with him. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was... I was kind of starstruck. I was. That was probably one of the most difficult interviews for me uh, because I was so starstruck. And fun fact, we did, you, we've mentioned this on the podcast before, you you got a cameo from Paul Campbell about three years ago now, I guess it was. Yes. He not only does cameos in Hallmark movies, he actually is on Cameo, the app. Um, where you pay to have him send you fun little messages. Yeah, I think messages. he was doing it as a, as a fundraiser for his, his son at the time, and it, it was so neat. It was the great, it was probably one of the most exciting, like, birthday gifts I've ever gotten. It, it was it was pretty wild, so. Um, maybe maybe we'll share it with you guys if, if we can find <laughs> it. Uh, just kidding. He has, it. yeah, it's on his phone, like, I ready, to, it every ready to play for, for everyone. But we really hope you enjoyed this interview. You know, very special to us, but just some great insight from Paul. Um, it it was really cool to be able to kind of talk to him about some of our favorite films of his and just some of the, the technicalities that he brings into this. And, you know, whenever we talk to, to actors or writers, just for me personally, just hearing how they, just hearing their process is just 
one of my favorite things and he and he goes into that yeah we he goes pretty deep uh into the craft with us and we were very excited that mm. he he was up for that yep and so thank you paul for taking the time uh to bring in the big 100 with us it really means a lot and we hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as we had recording it and again we just wanted to thank you guys so much for getting us to 100 yes thank you so much and we'll we'll keep doing it as long as you keep listening yes we will thanks guys thanks hi i'm paul campbell and this is technically romance hi hamilton hi stephanie how's it going it's going great. It's going absolutely great. We just wanted to start off by really thanking you for doing this. This is our, our hundredth episode and it, it really means a lot to us that you came here. Well, the centennial, here we are. We couldn't think of a better person. We talk about you a lot on our podcast. <laughs> now, when you say you couldn't think of a better person, does that include Tyler Hines? Just curious. You could say that on the record. We're recording, right? Yes, yeah, so we're recording and I will say that on the record. Oh. Oof. He's here with me. So he's... Oh. Uh, He's not going to be happy about that, but you know what? Sorry, bud. Um, no, we we do talk about you a lot. You were definitely one of our favorites, and Thank our you. whole origin story has to do with you. So come on, no, for real, for real. I mean, she when we first started dating, she would watch these Hallmark movies, and I wouldn't even, you know, I just walk by her, you know, when I'm going to the kitchen for something, I kind of glance over, and it was your film that I finally sat down and watched it with, and I loved it. Which one was that? Well, it was, we, I think it's Wonder Wonderland. He says it's Surprised by Love, but those were your first two movies. Um, but Window Wonderland was like the first like one we both- We just loved. Just absolutely loved. Yeah. I've been watching Hallmark for a while, but it was just something about you and your humor, it's just different. And, uh, and then that's how I got into Hallmark. Movie that movie in general, thank you for saying that. That movie in general, I think, changed things, sort of changed the landscape in terms of like tone and and storytelling. They uh, that was back in the day when they would take really just sort of a recognizable female lead, and then they would offer the part to some local dude in Vancouver. And uh, the the number two wasn't really that important in terms of like name recognition or being in the world of Hallmark. And uh, I had been doing a bunch of comedy stuff at the time and I read it and I was like, oh, this is actually really funny. I think I can do something. And um, they said, go for it. And so, but it doesn't really happen anymore where you see a male lead that you don't recognize from uh, the, the world already. So that was uh, the, what, a, what a perfectly timed opportunity for me and also both those scripts, Surprised by Love and uh, Window Wonderland, were written by Tippi and Neil Dabrowski, who were like the most prolific uh, writers and also were the best at dialogue. Best, really good at story, but like definitely the best at dialogue for sure. So it was kind of a perfect storm, that one. Yeah. Um, how did you kind of like your start with Hallmark? I know Window Wonderland was your first. How did that script come to you? And did you Just know that you were like filming something special when you were doing it? Well, I knew if I was in it, it was going to be something special. <laughs> of course. I almost, that that I almost got that out. Oh, I got to, I got to learn to deliver those. Like I knew that if I was, you know, I can't even do it. Um, uh, it just came to me, you know, like Hallmark, 
Hallmark for the long, 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 longest time had a real stink on it. If I'm being honest, nobody wanted to do Hallmark movies and nobody's agents wanted them to do Hallmark movies because it was kind of the same as doing soap operas for a long time. It was like, well, if you're doing a soap, that's it. That's that's your career has landed in soap opera land and you kind of don't ever escape. And that's kind of what happened. That was where Hallmark movies were at. They were, you know, they they were like where you put the cows out to pasture. And and uh, I think scripts would come across my agent's desk every once in a while. And then he read this one. He's like, hey, this is actually really good. It looks like Hallmark's trying to do something a little different here. Yes. And uh, and then so I just auditioned for it. The normal way i went in and read for uh the director and um there was there was a woman named barbara fisher who was uh she was a top executive at hallmark i don't know if she was this was right before bill abbott kind of took over and began to really focus the storytelling and build hallmark into what it ha has become but uh, it was her last movie before she left Hallmark, I think, to go to Up TV. And so um, I think she was like a bit of a maverick, too. And everybody was like, just in terms of tone and, and performance, just like go and have fun and do something a little different. And, and so when I auditioned, I was improvising stuff. And the script was already great. But when, when you have that kind of dialogue and when you have a, um, a co-star like Kyler Lee, you can just go in and mess around. Like nothing would throw her off. So I could go and in when you're doing comedy, when you're doing any comedy, but particularly single camera, there's so much room for improvisation and finding stuff in the moment. That script allowed for so much of that. So when I auditioned, I just goofed around. I just came in and started throwing in. I had pre-written a bunch of my own jokes and like swapped out a bunch of their punchlines for my own punchlines and just went in and had fun. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get this, but and then I got it, and and uh, and it was the same filming it, um, both with Surprise by Love and Window Wonderland. And then after those two movies, when Bill Abbott started to really build the company, they really started to narrow the focus in terms of the types of stories they were telling, the type of jokes. They really started to like clip the wings of the writers, and we saw it get really, really conservative again, which worked, built a big audience. And now we're in this renaissance again, where Hallmark is going, okay, we've told all those stories. Now we wanna go back and broaden it again. And the types of jokes that I'm writing and the types of jokes that I'm telling are honestly right back to those days of Window Wonderland. And I, uh, uh, I, I have a really good relationship with Tippi and Neil Dabrowski and have had since 2014. And I've always really admired them and uh, tried to sort of follow in their footsteps. So I always keep them in mind when I'm writing my own jokes. I'm like, oh, this is Tippy and Neil would approve of this. This is a good one. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great. I, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said it is going through another renaissance here. Because uh, the, the level each, you know, each year I feel just gets stronger and stronger. Uh, you should see the stuff we've got in development. Um, there... Okay, let's, let's see it. Let's, <laughs> let us know. Let's see. Let's you, take a look. You, you, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't believe. Um, uh, I, you know, we're still, the, the network is still finding its footing. We just, uh, Mariah's Lighthouse just aired. And, you know, that was an interesting project because uh, that script was sold when I sold it with my writing partner, Terry Cunningham. We sold that three years ago and we sold it when Hallmark was still making 
what we knew Hallmark making three years ago. So it was kind of right down the middle. And then when we finally started writing it in December, last December, they were like, okay, we really want to make this a, a much broader comedy. Uh, and so we wrote it really big, really funny. And then as it sort of made its way onto screen and through all the various edits and stuff, it sort of got narrowed down a little bit closer to what it was originally sold as. But that movie, we we swung for the fences a lot in, in that movie. There was a lot of really big jokes and sort of big concepts in that one. So we're going, well, they're not quite ready to tell the whole, you know, to tell the story the way we want to tell it or the way we totally wrote it, but they're game for a lot of stuff. Yeah. And some of the stuff that I'm working on now is way different, way, way different. And I think a lot of, it seems like a lot of it's going to live. So that's, that's great. exciting. Yeah, that, that has us very excited. Like there's one thing that's really good, really, really good. I'm going to just well, say tell it. Oh, about oh. it <laughs> No scoops here. I'll get killed. I'll uh, literally they'll send the Hallmark uh, death squad to my door. Knock, knock, knock. Open a card. It just says you're dead. And you're like, this can't be a Hallmark. Oh, it is. Oh, shit. And then you're back. That's it's it. It's like the seedy underbelly of Hallmark. They are cutthroat. They're not messing around. <laughs> They're not messing around here. Well, I mean, you really are, in, in our eyes, the, the funniest, you know, actor out there. Like, we love you in these movies. You. you really bring this this really strong wit, this really strong personality, these roles. Was there a moment that you realized you were funny, you wanted to do comedy? Like, was there like a moment where you got a laugh and you're like, I, I like this, I could do this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, you know, I was, uh, I was, I was, a. Uh... High school was tough for me. I was like, I was a pretty heavy kid. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Christmas by Starlight. That it was the first one that I wrote. With oh, Kimberly. did we? Yes. yes okay. We did. So, so those photos that we show, those are our grad photos. And I don't know if you remember, but we we she goes, no, that can't be you. And yeah. I'm like, on this big chubby. That was my high school experience. So, uh, you know, humor was like my my best friend. Humor was how I made friends, and I just. I was just, I joked all the time. I was always trying to make my family laugh and my friends. I lived on, I would record SNL on VHS and then just watch it over and over and over. And uh, I had the, like my prime, um, my prime SNL watching time was like the Chris Farley, Sandler, Spade, Carvey, Mike Myers, like the best, the best seven, six years of SNL. Um, and so I just like, I just wanted to be those guys. And then my, but I was going to, I, I wanted to be a carpenter, right? I, I didn't ever want to be an actor. And so I built houses for four years after high school. And then I realized that I wanted to become, I wanted to do something different. So I became an actor. But what I was actually really drawn to was dramatic stuff because it was so cathartic, you know, like I had a lot of stuff that sort of lived with me from high school and from childhood and and acting became this form of therapy this form of like self-expression and a form a way of emoting that was so foreign to me because I just kept everything in here but acting was like no no it all has to come out and so I could I could sort of you know heal through these performances and express myself through these performances but it was all really dramatic it was a lot of like angry you know, a lot of angry and, and uh, emotional stuff. And then, so I did, I, I was like, I'm going to be a dramatic actor. 
And then I started auditioning for comedies in like 2004, a couple of years after I um, started acting. And I booked a pilot in Los Angeles. It was a, a pilot that Bill Lawrence did, who it was just, he was doing scrubs at the time. Uh, another like prolific TV producer and comedy writer. And I booked a, a pilot with my very good friend, Taryn Killam, uh, who SNL alum, we did this pilot when we were like 23 years old. And I was like, oh my God, it was live in front of an audience on a soundstage at Warner Brothers in Los Angeles. And it was, it just changed my whole outlook. I was like, this is extraordinary making people laugh. I didn't, it never occurred to me that this could be part of my job. And then and then I switched completely over to comedy. And I was like, all I want to do is comedy. I'm not auditioning for drama. So then I did comedy for a number of years, did a, a number. And then it's the, the two just sort of um, found their way back together, you know? And then Hallmark, I'm always trying to push the envelope in terms of, you know, the types of humor and the type and how far I go with the humor and with the, the more dramatic stuff, the humor in the heart, the further you can play on the edges of that sandbox, the better it is when they come together, you know, mm -hmm. the, the more humor earns the deeper heart and the deeper heart humor comes from the, the deepest, most grounded, heartfelt moments. All the, like the struggle and the conflict is ultimately what's the funniest. So the further you can go in either direction, the better the result. Uh, oh, I love that. I yeah. Love that. So, and that's what we're always, when we're writing, you know, that's what we're always fighting for is like, these people should be broken they should be at rock bottom and that's when we're able to laugh and find humor in their growth and in their in their healing instead of just going oh everything's kind of fine and oh I'm in love now and mm, happy ending you know that stuff people are like yeah it's nice but you don't walk away from that movie going holy shit that was actually a really good movie you want to yeah. like you know Anyway, that's a really long answer to, I don't even know what the question was, but here no, we are. I know, I, I absolutely love that. Cause I mean, <laughs> you know, honestly, I mean, our, our podcast really deals with the craft and the technicality, you know, from the writing to the acting. I love all of that. So that's a wonderful answer. I really appreciate you going to that. Thanks. Speaking of craft, and we do talk a little about that. We like to dive a little deeper into it. Uh, we're always interested to know the process of how you approach a role, um, so kind of what is, what is your process of how getting into a good character? Well, I find that I'm, most of the characters that I play are, I got, I don't have to reach too far. You know, I go, oh, I get this guy. I think now that I'm the ripe old age of whatever it is that I'm at, I've, uh, I've got a kid now, you know, it's, um, the process for a lot of actors, uh, and this is like the the Sanford Meisner technique. You go back to uh, like what Sanford Meisner was teaching, and all the Ilya Kazan, and um, you know all all those like the great teachers and directors in the fifties, where the technique was sort of you find something in your own life that feels very similar to what the character is going through, and you sort of live truthfully your own experiences through the character. And what's interesting is when you're in your 20s, you have no experience, right? You, you might've maybe been in love, maybe had love lost, but you know, to truly go through the ups and downs of life to understand what it is to have a child and the love you have for a child and the, the types of fears that come with that, that there's such a, there's such humanity that comes the second you have a kid, you're like, oh, I understand the world in a totally different way. So by the time you, 
get to my age, you're like, I understand a lot of things in a much deeper way. So when I look at a character and I go, oh, I know what this guy's going through. It's kind of like something I'm either going through right now or, um, or have gone through. It's so much easier for me to relate. And I feel like because of the types of stories Hallmark tells, and usually these characters are dealing with loss of some sort or heartache of some sort. It's not like, you know, I have to try and associate something with something really gruesome or something really deviant. Like they're all pretty universal stories and I've lived a pretty universal life. So relating to these characters is actually pretty easy. And then when I when we're doing stuff that it, when, when the truths are coming out about these people and they're sort of really finally opening up and becoming vulnerable, I can access, I have this whole tool chest of like real life experiences that I go, oh, I know what that is. Let me just give me a sec. I'll bring that one back up. And then whoop, it's right there. There was a, um, we were filming Wedding Every Weekend, which is a movie that I did with Kimberly Sested. And uh, there's a moment at the, at this, we go to a wedding um, and she kind of breaks it off with me in the, oh, we're, we're talking about where is this going between us? And she says, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think this is going to work. And she kind of walks away. And, uh, I, the director, Kevin Fair, he's like, I really want to, like, I really want to explore what that means to you as a, as a, as a human being, like maybe, maybe this guy understands loss or has fears that are deeper than the average bear you know let's kind of turn this thing on its head so let's see what you got and uh I immediately just use my son I go okay what would it be like if my if there was if my son was not in my life and I'm honestly he's like okay and action and we did the thing and then I just started sobbing uncontrollably and he and he just let it go he let it play on camera and he's like he came over and he's like okay, God, that, you got a lot of stuff in there, don't you? And I was like, uh-huh. And he goes, okay, just take a minute. We're, it's probably a little much for the scene. I want you to bring it back to maybe don't, don't use quite, you know, you needed to get that out. We're going to go again. Uh, somebody turn his eyes back to the right color <laughs> and, uh, and wipe his face off. And then we're going to go again. But in that movie, in that scene and, and in other scenes in that movie, you can see like there's a real depth to, to that character. And that was to the credit of, someone like Kevin Fair who says, let's really see this, you know, and then let's sort of decide where on the spectrum, how much of that really comes out. The sobbing, that was just for me, you know, I was like, I needed to get that one out, but it's somewhere, let's give us 40% of that or 30% of that. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I do it. You know, a lot of it's just in the moment. You're just like, really living it in the moment with your scene partner as well. If you have a good scene partner, you listen to them, you experience it in the moment with them, and then whatever happens, happens. It's kind of exciting. Well, I mean, you mentioned scene partners, I think. That is a great segue into another question. Um, speaking of scene partners, you and Kimberly, just magic. What Thank is you. it, I don't know if it's, what is it about her, but what do you think it is that makes a great scene partner? Um, it's somebody that is, like I said, you have to be present. You have to be completely open and present and vulnerable in the moment. You can't, you can't sort of plan how you're going to come into the scene. You kind of have to go, I think I know essentially what this scene is about. I do know what this scene is about, but I'm going to go and live in this scene as if it's really happening in the moment. And I'm going to do it every single take. And 
you just, if you're, and, and there's a lot of actors at Hallmark now, fortunately, that show up that way. They just go, let's just get into it and we'll have a real conversation. We'll, we'll sort of like come in with, you know, our own subtext and our own ideas and the things that we want, but we'll really just be in this scene with each other. And she's one of those actors that just shows up and goes, all right, let's see what you got. Talk to me for real. Um, and so it, it just works. It makes it easy to connect uh, on a deep level to have those characters connect. And then also for comedy, because you're open to surprises. So many, so many of those fun moments are when you surprise each other with things. So many of the, the, the most memorable moments are the genuine reactions to like a response you weren't expecting because nobody's pre-planned everything, right? You just come in and go, let's play. Let's get yeah. in the sandbox and see what happens. And, and that's why it works. I feel like you guys do a lot of improv. Yes and no. You have to be careful because, um, yeah, like I'll throw in, you can't just go off the script and start improvising a scene. You know, they won't use it. It's also, it's a, now as a writer, I go, hey, don't do that, guys. I worked really hard on those lines. <laughs> but sometimes there's opportunities to like, if I can get a genuine laugh out of somebody by throwing in something they don't expect at all, um, especially when we've already shot the the two shot and it's like just their close up, and they and you get a genuine laugh. So sometimes I'll change a punchline or something, but usually you're improvising a single line. It's not like a line. One sometimes it's like an exchange or more like two or three lines exchange, but usually it's just a different a twist on something or a different reaction or a totally different tone an unexpected tone or something uh, what we do is we do all the work up front so we'll get a script and then we'll just start we'll go to the producers or the director and if there's stuff that we think doesn't really work or hasn't been thought through emotionally because as an actor you become an expert on that character even more so than the writers i think and um i found this on unexpected christmas i had uh, a lot of conversations with Tyler and Bethany and they're like hey I think this doesn't really work for me I get to this spot and it feels like it's uh it blocks my emotional trajectory and I go oh yeah you're right I didn't even see that so those actors become the experts in what I do and what Kimberly does and a lot of other actors will go in their prep and try to start adjusting dialogue and adjusting scenes and stuff beforehand so you're not really having to try and improvise like you don't hit the roadblock while the camera's rolling and go oh wait this doesn't work I'm going to try and go around it here you do the work up front um, and then most of the improvisations are for the sake of humor you know to try and get a laugh or something that wasn't there is that I mean is that sort of normal for the actors to come to the writer and kind of talk through the script is that is that part of the process no it's not not at all um, but I opened the door. I just said, I emailed both Tyler and Bethany individually. And I said, hey, let's just anything come and talk to me because I've been in this place a million times. And I would rather have them come to me and give me an opportunity to, to fix, to, to write it myself than to try and do it on the day. Because what happens, these things are such a scramble is they'll go to the director or they'll go to the producer and the producer will quickly scribble something down. And as a writer, I'm so protective and I go, well, I could probably do it better, to be honest, because it's my baby. You know, I know this. And, and when you only have 30 seconds to come up with a fix, it's not going to be as good as what I can come up with a week in advance. Right. So I was like, you have any issues? Come to me. And then I just sort of 
made myself available for the entirety of the shoot and said, any day, any time of night, you got a problem, come to me, we'll fix it. And then we'll present it to the production team. And, uh, and then if they want to use it, they can use it or not. But at least we have a united front here. That, I mean, that's, that's so smart. I mean, and I would, I would love to see more of that because I think it creates, you know, a, a stronger film in the end. It, it really that, does. That, that yeah, because then it's yeah. thoughtful, right? It's yeah. intentional and it's um, so, it, it, these productions are so chaotic and there's so much work and the writing and the performances are not always the priority necessarily. It's like you're, you're on set, suddenly it starts to rain, everything's getting wet. Like every, the performances in the script are secondary to making sure you can make your day. So everyone's preoccupied. And if an actor goes, uh, actually, I think this line's not working. They go, yeah, I don't care. Just do this. We just have to, right? They, it's not the priority. Yeah. And, and also like Tyler and Bethany had some great improvs that show up in Unexpected Christmas. Some great moments that I was like, oh my God, they, they, they are so intelligent and they're so talented as actors that there was nothing that showed up in there that I was like, oh, why? everything only enhances and those are that's the dream that's the dream performer to to take your writing and and do it justice right i get credit for half a dozen great moments in that movie that i didn't even write that they just sort of i could see like you know what they were doing and and it only enhances things and then i look it makes me look better so go for it guys just don't f it up just don't <laughs> don't make it worse well, I mean, you know, speaking of unexpected, one of the things that was so unexpected about that film was the sort of the role reversal you did, where you have this male lead kind of dealing with his insecurities. And I, I love that. I appreciated that so much. I just wanted to really thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, that was, um, you know what, that one, I can't recall. So that was a, that script was written by somebody else originally. This guy, Greg Magoon, wrote a script. It was called... I think it was called an unexpected Christmas and it was vastly different. It was a, a totally different world, different story, but I think it was her family. So the, the log line essentially, essentially stayed the same. It was like two people pretend to be together for Christmas for the sake of the family. That was the log line. And that's about as much as we kept for the movie. Basically it was a great script. It just didn't work. You know, it didn't work. And so when I started to get into it, I was like, I can't do a rewrite. I have to just get rid of the whole thing and I'll start completely from scratch. But I think it was her family originally. And he was like some sort of, he was like a PR guy for a, he had an influencer or something that he brought to town with him, this like 50 year old musician that was an influencer and he had to do this campaign for a coffee company or something. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, it was like, very different. <laughs> it was a discussion with the network and they were like, what if, what if it was his family and what, what would it be like if it was the male who was, who was dealing with the pressures of like presenting the, the perfect life and what would that look like? And, and I was like, oh guys, you hired the right guy. I, I can do this. I know <laughs> this, I know this guy. And, and then it just sort of took off from there and it was so fun to write that guy with like deep insecurities about uh you know this sort of idea of what is masculinity what is it mm -hmm. to be the man what is it to feel like you're not performing or you're not you're you're not living up to this 
self-imposed standard of what it is to be the man in a relationship. And I was like, yeah, and Tyler, like, so just handled it so perfectly, you know? Um, that guy really is a talented, talented man. I was so impressed by his performance. He's so subtle, like his humor is so subtle. He's very intentional. He knows exactly what he's doing, but you never feel it. You never feel like this guy's working, but he is so prepared. And Joy, both of them, like they prepare the shit out of these movies. And a lot of actors don't. They go, oh, I know this. And they just show up and yeah. phone it in. But they're like, they are absolutely impeccably prepared when they when they go to camera. Well, you can see that. I, I feel like you can tell when in a movie and the actors are prepared. Like it just, it comes through so much mm -hmm. different. You know, you can be like, I know they did that. And then when we talk to these actors, like, oh yeah, no, we definitely prepared. We did this, you know, we spent, you know, time talking with our other lead about what to do. And like, you can really see that difference. You would mention, and sometimes I feel like Hallmark gets a bad rap for people don't take it seriously. Um, but that's why we love doing this podcast is sort of showcasing how much work actually goes into these movies and yeah. the care and thought that goes into every one of them. Um, you know, from so. the actors to, you know, the gaffers, the costume designers, it really is just incredible to see how quickly too these are made and at the quality that they reach. What Hallmark has done so extraordinarily, they've scaled up so quickly. And there's a reason that they're, you know, that they're number one in cable week after week after week. But they're, if you, if you see what they're doing internally, I mean, they're finally, they've pulled up with them. There was like six executives that were doing all the movies. And now they've, they've started to really train up and promote a lot of the assistants that are now sort of in their own right, becoming executives. They're also giving a lot more autonomy to the executives to, for, in terms of decision-making and just going, we trust that you will make all the right decisions about this movie rather than having to run every decision, every costume yep. up the food chain. Two years ago, every single wardrobe picture for every single movie, every single thing was run right up to the very top and was looked at and approved by, you know, one person at the top. And A wardrobe? Every, every, from every wardrobe fitting, the 150 photos, the outfits for every movie, every script, everything was being funneled up through one person at the top. And it just made it impossible for anybody to get ahead or like there was such a backlog. Um, I don't know how they did it. And they finally gone, okay, we can, we need to start allowing people the opportunity to just make their own movies. And it, I think it's given everybody a little bit more room to breathe. They're still expanding so quickly how many movies they make a year and 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 also not just how many but you look at the scope you go oh this you're telling movies in france and italy and you're the what it takes to make that movie opposed to two people sitting around decorating cupcakes and talking about their feelings which is what they were doing for so long they're telling these big ensemble pictures now and it's like as the tone changes and as the type of stories change, so does the scope of the work. So it's so much more work to go into each film. And uh, what they're, they're finally doing is they're building out the, the base of executives that can actually oversee these films. And they're, and they're trusting more in the writers and the producers. So hopefully they'll start to shoot Christmas movies in 2023 that will air in 2024. Imagine that. Right now they're shooting wow. Christmas movies in 2022 
that air in 2022. And it's insane, right? You, there's just, it's, it's impossible to give that film the full attention, but I think they're moving toward a model where they're, because they do love them so much. They, they do care so much. And that's the reason that they wanted to approve every wardrobe and everything. They're like, we care so much about these movies. And I, they're moving toward a model where they can actually produce them with enough time to produce them properly. And I think anytime you see a movie, you're like, oh, that one wasn't so good or that one. It's because they didn't have time. You know, yeah. the, they're shooting scripts that are a little undercooked sometimes. They're like, we greenlit this. It airs in June. The script isn't quite ready, but we have to shoot it. So it's a bit of a scramble. But I think you're just going to see the quality get better and better and better. That's my hope anyway. Yeah, we already have. I mean, it definitely has. I mean, there's, you know, doing the podcast, you know, it's like, well, there's very few that were like, oh man, this is, this is almost unwatchable. Whereas mm -hmm. before there would be a lot more that were like, we, we can't do this. So I think the quality has risen. And if they have more time, that's going to be even better. Like that's, that's really smart. Yeah. We'll see. Fingers crossed. I'm, I'm just trying to get my fingers in all the pies. I want to write. I want to act. I want to start producing these things. I just want to set up shop full time and go Johnny Hallmark over here. Johnny Hallmark. Do it. Well, knowing that you're diving into all of these other, uh, you know, behind the scenes parts of these movies, how has that process been for you? And how has it affected uh, your acting? Like, do you look at it from a different way now? Um, not really. The, the, what was really fascinating when, when we did Christmas by Starlight was just the, being a writer and an actor, it took, it was about three days or four days of trying to transition seamlessly into being an actor and, and remember to not be too precious about the writing. That was a really, I think it was interesting probably for everybody on set because uh, I had heard those words in my head a thousand times. When I'm writing, I say all the words aloud, right? I just walk around just saying words and seeing how they feel. And there's real like, I, in some scenes, I'll build in really specific rhythms to that dialogue. Like there's, there was some tricky dialogue in that one, that, in, in big ensemble scenes that required everybody to sort of understand the music of what I was going for. And it was tough a couple of times as an actor to go, oh, it's not quite, it's not quite what I wrote, but it still works. But I had to just step away because it's, you know, once you've handed that in, it's not your place anymore to be, um, worried about what anyone else is doing. And it took me a few days, to be honest. I think probably there was a couple of times Kimberly was like, hey, can you just shut up? Can you just sit down and can you can you not? I don't need your notes. And I'm like, I know, I know, I'm so sorry. Um, but it was, she was right, you know, she was absolutely right. I had no place. Uh, but so in terms of, in terms of acting, I think the acting has helped me so much as a writer because I'm able to I'm able to just go I know what needs to be here and and I know when I'm performing this what I do and don't want to say like where the scene should end and what dialogue feels fatty and I'm I'm able to really trim it down to the essentials. I'm still growing so much as a storyteller, you know, the I have no background in writing. I was just like I think I can do this and then I started to do oh, wow. it kind of work. So I was like, I think I'll keep doing this. And I, so my, my, it's been a really steep learning curve in terms of the writing. Finally, I'm feeling like I'm going on to my sixth, fifth or sixth script. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm starting to understand some stuff here and, and be better at this. But 
Um, the writing will definitely help if I want to go into directing and definitely producing. I think the acting is kind of its own thing. It's such a, the writing is such a technical thing. Um, it's as technical as it is artistic and the tech, the technical side of it lends itself much better to directing and to producing. The acting is just like, I'm an actor and you're just like, <laughs> you're like I, my only job is to smile. Um, as a writer, you have to be much smarter about production and writing you know, it has to be a certain number of pages. It has to be a certain number of scenes. You can't, you can't just write whatever you want. It's very right. tailored to what a production can handle. So we'll see. I'm not, uh, I'm not close to directing uh, anytime soon, but I could be producing in the next couple of years. It's something I'd like to do. Well, that was, that was my next question was, was the, the directing aspect. You know, you said you're Johnny Hallmark, you know, you seem to have a a feel for these films, like directing seems to be the next kind of step for you. It could be, it's such a, it's such a vastly different skill set again. And also, you know, there are a lot of Caucasian male directors right now. The world doesn't need a lot more white guys directing movies. We just don't, you know, there's, um, particularly at Hallmark, there are a lot of females that are rising up. The Ashley Williams is, and, you know, I feel like Nikki Deloach is someone who would be a phenomenal director. There's a lot of women that uh, will be directing in the next few years. Ashley's a great director already. I'm like, you ladies should take this. This is, this, you should be doing this. This is your world. Um, I'm happy to produce I'd have to commit two years to studying directing, right? Like as an actor, you don't really pick up that much. I sort of understand basic camera movement, but it's it's a whole other skill set that I'm not necessarily ready to educate myself on. I I feel like producing would give me the control over the content as uh, the control that I'm craving in terms of the types of movies I want to make and how if I write a script and I deliver a script. I want to see that movie made in a certain way. I think producing would satisfy a lot of that for me, um, almost as much as directing, because uh, the producer can tell the director what to do. And that's what I want to do. I want to be the boss. I'm just going to jump right to the top. Well, I thought you you were, you had a production credit on- uh... Uh, Mariah's Lighthouse, it had you as an executive producer. Yeah. So. It does. Is that a lie? Is that, no, we it's not. Lie? It's not. But it's th- those are sort of name only credits. I was also um, I got an executive producer credit on Sun, Sand and Romance, which was the first movie that I ever sold to Hallmark in 2017. But so I was on creatively for the development process from the idea was mine. The basic concept was mine. And then and because I hadn't written anything at the time, uh, Hallmark hired Uh, some other writers to come in and write the script but I was on all the creative calls right up until shooting and then once once we went to camera I was no longer creatively involved as a producer I just became an actor with Mariah's Lighthouse that was more of a a a deal point that was negotiated in the deal that uh, Terry and I would be executive producers as well but it didn't really buy us any capital as in in terms of like decision makers which would have been nice um, so at some point, there's too many cooks, right? You hand it over to Lee Bristow, who is eminently qualified to produce that movie. He doesn't want me calling him and going, hey, Leif, I have some ideas about how to make this movie in France. Uh, he's like, we got this. We are the producers. We will produce this movie. And then you get sort of a, an executive producer credit 
just enjoy your your title card there <laughs> and uh take a seat thanks for the script so, uh, so, that, so that's what you want you want to be the real producer calling the I shots make, you yeah want i want to be practically producing the movie yeah mm -hmm. in control yeah making decisions about things and making decisions about the directors that we hire and locations and you know the, the creative decisions there's um there's so you know it's funny it, it feels to me like the simplest thing like from the outset just saying to the entire crew and to the director and to the cast guys this is a comedy i want you to know this is a comedy and and having everybody keep that in the back of their mind as they're filming the movie because there are times when it, if you, you watch something and you go, I don't think they knew this was a comedy. Mm. People aren't, it's, it's not, it's just a subtle change in how you approach some of the lines, some of the jokes, some of the tone, some of the shots. It's not like vastly different. But if you just had a director go, you know, I think we can lean into this a little more or I think we can cut this in a way that's a little more hum humorous. Um, it changes the movie just... 10 or 15%. And I think a lot of times people just go, oh, it's a Hallmark script. So there's an earnestness to it. And there's a there's an authenticity that often steamrolls a lot of the humor. If they That's don't true. play it as a comedy or keep in mind that it's supposed to be funny, the jokes just get steamrolled. And, I, and you need someone at the top to go, remember, we're making a comedy. And I wanna be the guy that goes, remember, we're making a comedy. Um, do you have a favorite role to date that you've done or one that's been most challenging? At Hallmark? Yeah. We uh, usually we usually stay in the Hallmark lane. Sure. <laughs> but if you want to talk about something else that's well, I have this OnlyFans that uh, <laughs> um which is surprisingly not the most challenging. It just comes natural. It just comes natural. That's my tagline. That's my <laughs> Paul Campbell, only his fans tagline. It just comes natural. Um, the heart, you know, Window Wonderland still to this day has such a special place in my heart because it was truly like unbridled comedy. I, I improvised. So, there was nobody there just going, mm, can we just stick to the thing? Can we just... I've never had that experience since. I'll say Christmas by Starlight was also extraordinary just because we had written that and and it was so tailored to our voices. We had written it specifically for ourselves, which was so unique. Like every single word that came out of my mouth was intentionally chosen. And I really liked those characters. I thought it was, that was really fun. And there was challenge in that in just being an actor and not... Um, not letting the writer brain take over, but Window Wonderland will always have such a special place in my heart because it kickstarted this wonderful journey that I've been on with Hallmark. And it was so fun. It was just such a fun, surprisingly fun movie to make. Yeah, no. It, it makes me happy to hear you say it. Cause again, it has such a, a special place in our hearts as well. And, mm. uh, and it's just, it's just a shame cause they hardly ever play it on repeat, know. you know, it's just like, they just kind of tuck it away. And it's like- It's cause they don't own it. They, it's it was owned by Entertainment One. Oh, right? really? Hallmark, yeah, it was it was a license movie. So Hallmark does oh. probably half their movies are Crown Media Holdings movies, where they mm -hmm. actually own the entire thing, and then the other half are licensed films from other production companies. And if they don't uh, if they don't own it, 
then it's up to the other, it's up to the production companies to stream, put those films on streamers and sell them and keep wow. them, keep them on the air. Yeah. That's so Hallmark amazing. would have to relicense that film in order to, to air it on Hallmark Channel. Because I thought it was like, they just don't like this movie for some reason. They, they don't want to. <laughs> no, they it. love it. They, they love it. it. They just don't own it. So it, when you see a movie show up on Netflix, it's because Hallmark doesn't own that movie that's owned by whomever else right and they've sold it to netflix hallmark doesn't sell its own movies to netflix when you go on hallmark movies now which is right. their streamer you won't see window wonderland there because they don't own it and if they maybe they do a license deal where they they license it again but i feel like it's probably not cost effective for them to license that movie from entertainment one to put it on hallmark movies now so everything on hallmark movies now is just owned by crown media we, that's the only way we can watch Window Wonderland is if we do Hallmark movies now. Okay, so they license it. So Maybe. they do license it. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but it's it's limited, right? So they probably pay. That's probably why it doesn't show up on the main network. It probably costs a lot more money for them to license it for the main network than it does to license it for the streamer. So they license it for the streamer and, okay. and it just lives on there. There's a whole back end to the business of with distribution and ownership that is, I'm not completely uh up to speed on but that i get a lot of questions about that one and i know it's because hallmark doesn't own that one now you said you you didn't have um you know you didn't go to school for writing or anything you just sort of took to it did you have any any mentors that kind of taught you uh that kind of took you under your wing or anything or you just were like you know what i'm gonna do this I just did it. Just, it just came natural to him i just did it i um That's I, so I was, crazy that's why well <laughs> It, my this is my 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 whole life motto. I don't really have a motto, but if I my operating my mo has always been, I'm gonna do something until somebody tells me that I can't do it, and then if somebody tells me that I can't do it, then I'll stop. But otherwise, I'll just keep doing it. And I did that with acting, and nobody told me eh, you probably shouldn't be here. And I was like, I guess I can just keep doing this. And then with writing, it was the same thing. I was like, I'll just do it. And if someone says you're done. Then I'll then maybe I won't do it. But nobody said you're done, so I just kept doing it. And uh, I just cleared out a bunch of stuff from a storage locker in LA, and I had this whole box full of stuff that I had previously written. And I was like going through it. And I was like, oh my god, I started writing scripts like 15 years ago. I've totally forgot. And I wrote a pilot. I wrote a comedy pilot, and I wrote a movie. I wrote a feature called Payback from Wayback, and. Uh, it's about a guy who, yeah, it's about a guy who wakes up and he's in his 30s and his life is just a disaster. And he kind of gets walked all over and it's there. He goes to a therapist and he goes, you have to, you have trauma from when you were a kid because these three kids in school that used to bully you. And the only way that you're ever going to sort of come into your own as an adult is you have to go and get revenge on these three kids. You have to like settle the score. So as a 30 year old, he tracks them down and individually so not a hallmark movie. <laughs> not a hallmark it's like a really like a really sort of broad sharp revenge comedy and uh i read it and i was like you know it is structurally it needs some work but it was making me laugh there was a lot of great jokes and i might Man. dust it off and see if that's something that netflix would be interested in like wow. but i go i've been tinkering with dialogue for most of my adult most of my acting career i've been sort of I sold some comedies to um, CTV, in, which is Canadian television, uh, in 2015. I was doing a show for them and I was like, I'm gonna sell you a show. And then I, so I did, 
and I wrote three scripts for them and it didn't get made, but it was such a great experience. And then when Hallmark, when I found out Hallmark was looking for um, summer, summer movies, I was like, I can do, I can write a summer movie. And I sold them Sunset and Romance and then kind of just took off from there. They, that script went through three different sets of writers and we were like three days out from shooting. And I was like, can you just give me the script and I'll rewrite all the dialogue. And so they were like, yep, here you go. And I rewrote all the dialogue and I was writing as we were shooting. So we would, I would write the week, like we were shooting week one, I would rewrite everything from week one. And then while we were shooting week one, I rewrote everything for week two. And, and that was kind of how uh, got me in the door for Starlight. How, like, I mean, how did, did you do that? That must've been so stressful. Like, it was so fun. It was so exciting. Really? It wasn't stressful because there was no pressure. My name wasn't on it. Nobody expected anything. <laughs> I was like, I'll give you what I think it should be. And if it's better, use it. And if, if it's not, then don't use it. I don't care. And then every day I handed it in. They're like, oh yeah, this is better. We're going to use this. And so I just kept doing it. Oh man, that's great. That's a great way to, to get started. You know? Just do it. Yeah. I say that, especially with writing for anybody that's considering writing, the the one thing if you're a writer if you write a script and it's good nobody can question your credibility or go oh i don't know you don't have experience so we don't know if we can trust you i have a script it's either good or it's not it's not like if you're an actor and they go well you haven't acted before we can't put you in this movie i can show you something tangible that regardless of what i might do in the future you have this you could take this and you could you could shoot it right writing is that the singular medium where I think you can, uh, in, in performing in, in film and TV, where you can go here, you have this, it's, you can see the whole thing from start to finish. There's no trust involved. It's either good or it's not. So if, if anyone wants to get into writing, write a script, you'll find out pretty quick if, if you're good or if you're not. I love that. That's great. That's the motto yeah. right there. Yeah, let's just do it. Do it. Just do it. Just do just it. Do it. Can we claim it? Somewhat, yeah. I was like, <laughs> no one, no one needed that, right? That? Did we just get rich? Just do it, and it's just like a, it's a hard, it's a hard check yeah, mark. It's a check mark. There is, but it's hard. It's a hard check. Maybe with a little swoosh. Maybe a little, a little touch. Oh, we could do a little swoosh. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind. That's good. <laughs> genius. We are geniuses. Um, speaking of all of the things you're just so good at. You mentioned carpentry earlier, and I was very fascinated when I was doing some research on you that you are uh, a woodsmith. I don't know if that's what they call you, but I how, like it. <laughs> how are you still doing that? I saw some of your pieces on your website. That was amazing. They're gorgeous. Oh, thank you. I still do it all the time. I um, I, I have a wood shop uh, shop space, um, and I I actually have a. I have like a full-sized Ford Transit cargo van that is just, it's like a mobile workshop. And uh, I do, I do it all the time. I do, uh, so I, my, when I grew up, my dad had, he was like an amateur woodworker and he had a workshop in the backyard and I would just go and tinker all the time. And then in high school, I took every single woodwork, metalwork, every single class that I could. And I started when I was 16, I built my first sort of commission furniture piece for a friend of the family. It was like this big bookshelf. And, uh, and I just fell in love with it. And then I, I did house framing for almost four years, but house framing was so different from the cabinet making that I had sort of fallen in love with. And in Vancouver, the climate is not hospitable for being outside 12 months of the year. So I was like, I don't wanna do this. 
I became an actor, but then I just never stopped the building. And now I do like, uh, I still do a lot of furniture, but I like to do remodels. So I've done like three condos top to bottom, just gutted them and I do everything. I, and, and like, um, I love it. It's my creative outlet. And there's so much downtime from when you're an actor. Now that I'm writing, there's very little downtime. But when I was acting, I was like, I got like nine months of the year. I'm just sitting around. I might as well go and build stuff. And I've always got like a project on the go. There's always something that I'm working on. Uh, I don't know. It keeps me, it keeps me happy. It makes me happy. Well, the aspect in Mariah's lighthouse, was that something that you added into the script? Yeah, so interesting because the one of the things that drew me to that story in the first place, so that movie could not be more different from the source material. We that was based on a that was based on the book right. series, right. and it was about a woman named Mariah Robertson who had grown up on Manitoulin Island in Ontario, and she and her aunt Catherine ran a small fishing resort, and it was like these six little rustic cabins and a main, like an old main house, and then six rustic cabins that Mariah um, had, three of them she'd built from scratch, and the other three she had remodeled, and she was like this sort of handyman around the resort, handy woman, sorry, um, around the resort, and had just trained up, like by necessity, had become the tradesperson, and her aunt ran the, the fishing resort, and then when Ben's character comes to the island, there's a lighthouse on the island. Uh, and then they were like, well, we could, we could shoot this movie in France and it would look stunning. Um, and we were like, oh, amazing. Well, it's a story about a woman who runs a fishing resort with her aunt in France and there's a lighthouse on the island. And then we wrote the script and then they got to France and they realized that these, this idea of a fishing resort doesn't exist. They're like, oh, we don't, we don't actually have that location. We cannot shoot the movie you wrote so what if it was an inn we're like okay so we wrote we rewrote it as a an inn and then they started scouting inns and they're like here's what we found and it's a five star like glass and marble and we're like but how does any of mariah's skill set lend itself to restoring the inn so okay she's got her own business now and she builds furniture we just had to like constantly pivot based on things we ran into hmm. in France. And so I was like, okay, well, she's going to be an artisan woodworker then and, and her woodwork skills. And it's funny because in the, in the original script, so much of that movie takes place remodeling the lighthouse. They're inside the lighthouse. Originally she re remodels the lighthouse. Well, we realized we couldn't remodel a lighthouse. So it had to be the light keeper's house. That script went through like three completely different versions of that script, just based on obstacles. Uh, and then, and in the final thing you go, she actually doesn't do very much work on the lightkeeper's house. She don't really see her doing much work, but I had written in scenes where she's turning spindles on a lathe and she's, you know, and they're like, now she's just kind of polishing the finish on oh, the She's top. on the shutters. She's on those outside shutters. We see her on she's the, on the shutters. shutters and you know, you go, well, we have three weeks to shoot a movie and you have an existing structure that in reality is actually quite beautiful. You have to make it look like it's been sitting for 50 years and needs a full remodel. Yeah. It's not an easy, unless you build that on a soundstage somewhere, you can't actually shoot the things that I've written in this script. And that's on me going like, oh, I have these big dreams for actually seeing them remodel this place. 
you can't shoot it, right? So that's a, again, that's me as a writer, just learning what what limitations we're dealing with, and I think they handled it beautifully. Yeah. But um, yeah, the and I know that Luke McFarlane, we've connected many times. He's an extraordinary woodworker. He is. Uh, he has a beautiful shop, and we've talked extensively in the past about you know tools and woodwork. We bonded over that so much. And when I found out he was the guy, I was like, oh, this couldn't be better. This guy understands it intrinsically, and and he'll get what I'm doing here with the the really specific tool references. I don't know how much of it made it into the movie, but he got it. He got there was it. one scene where he goes very specific on a piece. Uh, oh so, yeah, when he sees the thing and he goes, oh, the in something about the inlay. Yeah, or, yeah, he, yeah. He, he goes into it. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think the movie was very strong uh, for the changes and just gorgeous, absolutely stunning to, to see. It's, it looks fake. You go, <sighs> the rocks, you, you, you're like, this I've never seen geography like that in my life. The the bay that they shot in, I remember seeing some some scouting location scout photos, and I was like, "This is how can this even be real?" It's yeah. it looks like it's on another planet. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Well, I think at one point you said, "Is that green screen?" There, I I swear there was green screen when they go to uh, the one location where her grandfather told kind of was like, "Doesn't that rock look an engagement ring?" There's a shot. I swear it was green screen because they'd only go to the wide once. The, they might have only done that. They might have had weather issues, but there was no, that was all, that entire movie, all those locations are within five minutes of each other. And that, Seriously. Uh, that town, uh, rochefort en which is where they, was the inspiration for Beauty and the Beast. So Disney actually like photographed that town and sketched it into the, the live action. Like that's how they built the Beauty and the Beast town, where she's I was, riding. I was getting that vibe at the beginning. Like, <laughs> when she walks, yeah. walks through the, or rides through the town, it's like, oh, hello, hello, bunch of Yeah. And that's kind of what we were going for, is like the Beauty and the Beast yeah. vibe. Yeah. And, uh, but those, like, the, um, that is, it's all practical. Like, the, all those locations wow. were just in that, in that bay and, and in that town. It was, it's extraordinary. Like, the benefits of going on location and he, they were right. Like if we had shot that at a little fishing village on Manitoulin Island, totally different movie, mm -hmm. you know, totally different movie. And this one, like the, the town becomes a character in the movie. You yep. can write to the strengths of the town rather than just trying to like sort of keep it in the deep PG. Yeah. Oh, no, that's what, that's what I love is when the town becomes a character, especially if you're going to France or some of these other locations, you really want that location to sink for itself. That's part of the charm of going to, you know, faraway locations like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what is something that's really interesting, uh, again, that I'm learning with humor, that script was really, really funny. And there were some huge jokes, some big, big jokes. But a lot of those jokes, when you have that slight language barrier, and they come, they come out in sort of slightly broken English or English with a heavy accent, you go all those rhythms of the way European people deliver the rhythms and the tone and everything. And it just like some of those jokes, they just like disappear and um, you go, Oh, you have to write totally different jokes for people where English is not their first language. It's a totally different thing. You can't write like American structured punchlines because they just kind of go away. You lose the cadence and you lose the punch. It was so I was fascinating to watch jokes in the mouths of other people and you go oh I think that was a joke but I'm okay that's fine this is still cute but 
still very charming, but uh, that was a joke. Um, yeah, no, that is interesting. Yeah, the inflection and everything is different too. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Well, um, I know that you uh, posted on Instagram that you are filming right now. Is that, yeah. is there, I know you said you weren't giving us any scoops, but is there anything you can, is this a Christmas movie? Like, is this something we're going to see? No, it's not. Yeah, I, uh, so it's not a Christmas movie and it's the first time that I will have played a father. I'm playing Ooh. a father. Yeah, wow. I've, uh, I've leveled up here. Um, I played a father of a 14 year old boy in this movie and it's okay. a beautiful ensemble. Um, really, really good cast. I don't even know what I'm allowed to say anymore. So I, I always err on the side of caution, but it's a really, it's a lovely story uh, about people rediscovering love after you know dealing with hardship and and generations to how generations find love there's like three different generations in this movie that we deal with that are all sort of uh entering into new relationships and you you see it from the perspective of teenagers and then adults and also uh, a grandparent a, a grandmother who's finding love it's really it's a it's a really different story for me to tell and and I'm my character is coming from a really different coming from a place of loss and just all of the pitfalls all of the things that sort of go into moving on with your life and with kids involved and the being conscientious about how you go about it and what that means it's really it's a it's a really really sweet story and there's a lot of humor in it I was gonna say I mean, it doesn't sound like a comedy but well again like it's not a broad comedy. This is a comedy where a lot of the humor comes out of the tragedy and all the insecurity that comes with being a 40 year old with a kid moving on with your life and like not being so sure footed, you know? So it's like, this is what I was talking about where there's deep loss. There's also great humor that's born from that, right? I can be funny in my, in the tragedy a little bit. So it's not a broad rom-com but it is a quirky, funny movie about people um, finding a new season in their lives. So maybe is this on like the Movies and Mysteries channel? That no, this is the this is right up on the main tent. Ooh, be in the main wow. tent. It seems festival. like they're going for. I mean, usually you know you have the the sadder films and the Movies and Mysteries. It seems like the regular channel, Hallmark channels, is kind of promoting some of these as well, going a little bit. Sadder There's nothing about sad about this one, right? It's like it. it, it Again, like it sounds like it would be sad, but it, you you don't live in the past in this. I'm not living in the okay. loss. I'm coming from a place of loss. I'm I'm like ready to move forward. So you're jumping forward, but you uh, carry this thing with you, right? So it sort of informs. Yeah, you're not weeping. You're like, okay, I'm ready to move on. What does that look like? And it's all positive. Of course, you revisit. There's pain that sort of shows up here and there, but otherwise, it's a story about hope and moving forward so there's a lightness to it nice um and not everybody in the movie has lost my character has lost everybody else is sort of dealing with their own thing and, and so it is it is starting from a really good whole wholesome place of people being ready to for the next chapter um and you just see like but the the history grounds you in what you do right it's mm -hmm. not no one's just crying over their cheerios uh, yeah, I haven't pitched that to them. I may still. We'll see. Cheerios are so bland. Why are these Cheerios so bland? These Cheerios are so salty. It's because you're crying, you big fat loser. 
sorry, that was I was telling him, I was like, you know, I don't know if he's filming a Christmas movie. You said it's not Christmas, but you've done spring, you've done summer. I said, we've never seen a fall Paul. Ooh, is this gonna be a fall Paul? I think is it is it? actually. Oh, get a, we finally get a fall Paul, so you'll have all the seasons. No, you say it's been a fall Paul, so I've done them all. Is that what you say? <laughs> you can watch it at the correct. mall. Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, but no, I was like, oh man, I'd love to see him in a fall movie. All those fall leaves and Paul Campbell. I mean, that's just. Did crazy. you just say fall Campbell? Paul Campbell. <laughs> Did I? Did you say fall Campbell? I'm quoting it. That, that, that goes on my gravestone. Um, that would be uh, fall Campbell. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we really just want to thank you for your time. Um, you know, since you are actually on set and everything, it, it does mean a lot that you took the time to do this for us today. You're so welcome. I've been, uh, I know I've been meaning to, we've been trying to do this for a long time. I know you guys reached out a while, a while ago, and I, I was saving it for the centennial. I was, I wanted to make it special. So it's here we are. And congrats so on hundred episodes, by the way. Thank That's you. phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, you guys are great to talk to. It was Thank well, you. I appreciate that. We do this thing at the end of our of every when we have a guest, we call it a proud plug. Um, instead of like a shameless plug, there's no shame here. We want you to talk about something that you're proud of right now. It could be professional or personal, but just what something that you're proud of right now. Uh, I'm proud of my son. My son is like the he is the most extraordinary kid. He just turned six. He is so uh empathetic and thoughtful and polite uh and and i constantly get comments from other kids parents going his man he's such good manners and he's so polite and he's so helpful and he's like he's so caring it just makes my it just melts my heart i'm so proud of that kid uh for being just like such a lovely human being it's like it, it is the thing that i carry around all the time as a dad so that's what I'm, I'm, I'm proud of him. That is super sweet. I know. It always surprises me what people say. Sometimes I'm like, want to cry. <laughs> it makes I me want to cry. I always, I like, anytime I talk about my boy, I, I, I'm a, you know, it just lives like, it's just, it's right here. He's, he's, uh, he's so extraordinary and brings me so much joy. Oh, he's adorable. I've seen him on your Instagram, your social. Thank you. Yeah. He's a good kid. He's a keeper. I'm going to hang out with him. That's good. Uh, but again, we're just, we can't thank you enough. Over the for, moon. You're so welcome. Thank this. you guys. Really uh, great questions. Really good. Like, uh, I like your format. I like that it's just a, a casual conversation. Um, I don't remember the last time I talked for an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, clearly, I like to listen to myself talk, but, uh, you know, no, good, thoughtful questions and, and really like easy conversation. So uh, I like that you. a lot. Yeah. Sweet. All right, dudes. Well, thanks for the chat. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your filming experience. Can't wait to see whatever that is. We're excited for it. <laughs> wait a couple months. I think it's on the air. We'll see. You'll know. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be good. Thanks, guys. See you. Bye. -bye. Bye.